Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me today on the show. I say me because it's just me this week. There's no Kaza. Now, we're in between series at the moment. We concluded series one last week and we'll be starting up a new series uh, shortly, if not next week, then certainly very soon. So as we're in this in-between phase, um, I thought I'd experiment a little bit. And what I'm looking to do is is share a little bit of what I'm going to call the diary of a property investor. That's what I like to call it anyway. So um, without further ado, let's get into property chatter this week with the diary of a property investor. Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with property chatter. Okay, so as I mentioned, we're in between series and uh, this allows me to do something, you know, just a little bit different and um, to the usual property chatter section in any case. So um, the, the idea for the, today's show, in fact, this segment has really come from a listener. Uh, the listener called is, is Sanjay. Now Sanjay, he wrote in and he said, why don't you provide us with an update of what you've been up to? There was a bit more to it than that, but uh, that's that's the bit I want to quote right now, which obviously has become the uh, the cue, if you like, for this particular episode. Initially, I thought about this, and I was like, I was wondering whether it was such a good idea, you know, one to do it justice in in perhaps a short period of time, uh, and two that it perhaps didn't get a little bit stale. So um, I think the idea of maybe doing it every single week uh, was something that I perhaps was going to pass upon. But then I realized if I, if I were to do it now and again, it could work quite well. And, uh, and this way I get to share something of, uh, of a summary, if you like, of some of the key activities and highlights that I've been up to over a period of time. And hopefully that will provide, uh, you know, something of interest for you to take away and observe from a distance of, uh, of, of my activities at least. Therefore, I shall start off this feature this time by recapping some of the activities and projects that I've been involved with since the, the podcast was launched, in fact, back in early April. Now, I won't go into lots of detail, but, you know, I'll share enough to give you something of a flavor of what I'm going to call the diary of a property investor. Now, I'm probably not a typical property investor in some respects. Um, if you think that the National Landlords Association says that something like 70% of landlords own um, three or less than three properties and um, you know it's not a significant part of their income, I don't really fit that description. But I also don't have lots of restrictions on my time. I have a location-independent lifestyle and my interests in property go far beyond simple buy-to-let and landlording. Uh, and, you know, so therefore I've got quite a variety of different things that I do tend to get involved in and get up to. So here are some of the headlines, if you like, from the last couple of months. The first one, and this might surprise you, is landlord accreditation. Yes, landlord accreditation for someone like me who's been a property investor for some time with a, a significant portfolio. I was not accredited by any formal association until recently. So I decided it was about time I did do. 
and uh, therefore I set out and I, I looked into some of the schemes and I decided in my own particular case that it'd be a good idea to get accredited by the National Landlords Association. Now of course there are other landlord associations, um, that was my chosen route and, and the main reason to be honest was that I was able to do the learning at a distance uh, through online training modules and that kind of suited me, I could you know, do it in bite-sized chunks, I could come back to it at a later stage and, uh, and that kind of thing. So, um, you know, I focused a little bit on the um, the subject of accreditation in, in one of the episodes in the first series. Uh, in fact, probably a couple of them, the lettings and the management ones in particular, I certainly would have mentioned that. And I do have a strong view, actually. Um, I very much advocate getting accredited by one of the landlord associations as a property investor, as a, as you probably recall, I said. However, I don't I don't say that this is uh, essential. Uh, particularly if you're following a route of uh, outsourcing through a professional letting agent, which indeed was the route that I've been taken. So I was, uh, I don't abdicate any responsibility. And in fact, I certainly suggest that anybody needs to be familiar with their roles and responsibilities and duties and, and all the laws and regulations, etc., that go with being a landlord. And, you know, I certainly was appraised with, you know, a good many of those. Um, but equally, relying or, or, or working in partnership, if you like, with a professional letting agent allows uh, you to manage the agent and rely on their skills and experience. Um, it's also one of the reasons why I talked about choosing the right agent, because if we're not formally accredited, then there's no point working with a uh, shoddy uh, lettings agent either. So anyway, um, I just wanted to clarify that point, but um, it, it did actually, you know, did I did think it was high time that I got accredited, and so that's what I did. I embarked on this online accreditation program, as I mentioned, uh, and uh, if memory serves me correctly, there was something like 35 hours of learning in the core program for the initial accreditation. Now, 35 hours is the NLA's uh, quoted timescale. It took me less than that. Uh, you can speed up. And you can certainly speed up if you have more experience, but equally if you are able to digest the material uh, at a faster rate as well. So I don't think it actually took me 35 hours. I think it took me less than that, but that was certainly the hours credited by the NLA. So now I'm a fully credited landlord uh, by the National Landlords Association. In fact, they publish their register of landlords online. So it's quite a good timing. Uh, so if somebody wants to look me up, you will find me on the list. I haven't actually checked myself when I'm on, on the public list, but I have a certificate in my hands which proves it, and I can show that to anybody. So uh, to maintain the accreditation, uh, I do need to uh, enter into what's called CPD, or Continual uh, Professional Development. But it's not too onerous. I think it's, um, I can't remember it, but just reading the magazine and attending a few training courses allows me to maintain my accreditation. So I'm glad I've got that out of the way. That was the, the first thing, if you like, that I wanted to cover. Now, the second thing is a property deal. And, you know, I've been in, involved for some time in a project, which is I'm going to call an HMO project. And this was a uh, conversion of a residential property into a multi-let property or HMO in the Birmingham area in the West Midlands. Now, it's fair to say that an HMO is far more involved than a single let property. You know, there's lots, uh, in this particular case, there was planning consents required. Uh, there's an HMO license application that was required, a building control signer for all the conversion works. 
There were further discussions with the council about the configuration, the layout of the property. Um, in this particular case, there's uh, ensuite bathrooms, which have you know installed throughout most of the rooms, not all of them, but most of them. And uh, you know, essentially, a, a, an awful lot of works that were required to convert uh, a former four-bedroomed um, family home into what is now a six or seven-bed HMO. And the reason I say six or seven bed is that the seventh bedroom is contingent on a successful planning application. In fact, the, the six bed conversion is allowed without formal planning approval under what is called uh, permitted development. But to get the extra bedroom in uh, to seventh bedroom, that does need planning consent. Now, after works, the property needs to be tenanted uh, times six people. There are additional services that need to be provided, such as broadband and cleaning and gardening and that sort of thing. Uh, so the level of management is, is much higher than a single let property. However, so is the revenue. And in this case, the average rent for the property as a single let, believe it or not, was £800 a month or something of that order. Whereas as a six-bed HMO, which is what it is currently, it's in excess of £2,800 a month. Now, obviously we're talking about gross figures here and there are more costs that are involved in the HMO as I just alluded to. So, But even, even when we take account of those costs like utility bills and provision of furniture and that sort of thing, trust me, the net cash flow position is very attractive indeed. And so you're probably able to um, leverage uh, the revenue from an HMO property by two to three or even four times that of a single let property. So that's the reason behind doing this. A lot more management, a lot more control and regulation, a lot more involved in the setup. And obviously, you know, six people to manage rather than just one. So it's not for the faint hearted. Anyway, during the uh, the last couple of months, I've been dealing with uh, the contractors uh, that were on site and uh, I had my own contracts manager go in and produce a snagging list after the works are being produced. And um, let's just say that the, it's quite a long snagging list. So that has been something of a problem. But also I've renewed the financing. Um, I've dealt with various council and other bodies with regard to licensing, planning, council tax, building control sign off and uh, and indeed to agree some additional works which uh, I'm going to, to look to, to take on board to enhance the structure and value of the property. Now, at the time of recording this episode, and, and maybe I'll give an update later, but certainly at the time of recording this episode, I am in the process of going through an appeal uh, with regard to the seventh bedroom planning, as initially it was declined. And if I just touch on this quickly, because uh, there's a bit of learning here, um, certainly was for me anyway, uh, the main reason cited by the council for it uh, for the planning of the seventh bedroom being declined is that the property sits in what they call an area of restriction. Now, I'd never heard of that before. I'd heard of Article 4, but I'd never heard of an area of restriction. And that's, uh, it's a little bit like Article 4. Article 4 means that there's restrictions on how many HMO properties can go in the area without uh, approvals and that sort of thing. And so it's kind of a mini Article 4, and for want of a better description. Now, the issue is that when I undertook the searches with the council through my solicitor, as you would do through the conveyancing process, the council actually admitted to tell me this small fact that the property sat in an area of restriction. And so this obviously impacted on my project. I had planned to uh, go had turn this into a seven bedroom property rather than a six bed. It's allowed to be six bed, but they wouldn't allow the seventh. And of course, that has impacted on you know the profitability of the property.
Now, at present, I've got a profitable six-bedroom HMO, as perhaps you can interpret from the figures, the gross rental figures I alluded to. Gross rents doesn't equal profit, but you can see the multiple. But of course, as a seven-bed, it would have been a whole lot better. Now, I don't want to go to too much detail at this stage because I'm just giving headlines, but uh, I thought I'd give a bit of a signpost. And I, as I say, I'd certainly not heard of this area of restriction point, um, but also to just talk about that uh, HMOs are, are more complex than single-let properties. So I don't necessarily suggest we start with those, but uh, they are a natural extension to the repertoire of a property investor. And indeed, that's something that's been keeping me rather busy of late. So that was that was another project. Um, another area that I'm involved in, and you know, I've I've touched on in in terms of uh, of this podcast and elsewhere, is that you know, uh, uh, training and mentoring is the is the headline, and um, I get a lot of satisfaction from helping other people, uh, property investors, obviously, to get started or change direction or an, undo a roadblock and that sort of thing. So apart from writing on on my blog and and I've written the book, of course. And indeed, this podcast, um, they're all examples of, of that. But what I really do like to do is share my knowledge with other people and, and, and help them or see them grow and develop. I really like to see people who either lack confidence to gain confidence or have what I call a mindset shift. You know, if I can't do that or is that really possible? And really just to help to uh, change that thinking. So mentoring and training is an, a natural extension uh, of this uh, for me, I have to say. So. I I have the experience and also the capability to mentor others, fortunately, as I've proven over different parts of my business and working career. And so it's a natural extension for me to, to go into this area, I'd say. Now, I've mentioned I've teamed up with Damien Fogg, who has been a subject matter expert on the podcast and uh, is a successful property investor and indeed podcaster in his own right. And um, we we share common values, but different approaches, as you would have gathered if you if you tuned into to my interview with him. But we, as I say, we share common values, or you know, many of which are you know fundamental to to us working together. And so that allows us to offer fairly unique uh, two for one mentoring, as we like to call it. So it's both of us effectively who team up and give a different take really to, to our mentees. So maybe 70 or 80% of the time we tend to say similar things, but it's actually 20 or 30% where, you know, there's, there's a difference. And one example is our attitude towards uh, self-management or outsource management as a case in point. So, you know, an investor gets to see more than one perspective, I guess, is what I'm really trying to say there. Um, so if you if that's of interest, uh, there's a bit of information on the website, a couple of testimonials from people who've been for the process. So uh, have a look over there and uh, and, and see what you think. Uh, and just a little bit of a of a postscript really to this is that we're currently developing a training program. So mentoring obviously is more one to one, or in case our case rather two to one mentoring. But uh, a training program allows us to uh, capture, if you like, and 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 uh, and educate a, a group of people at one time. So. Not going to reveal too much more about that, but it's an exciting development, I think, and it's going to uh, follow in a in a future update. I'm sure you'll find out more about it. But so we're busy on that. So that was a training and mentoring. But the next area really I got involved in is over the last few months, in particular, is uh, what I'm going to call investor joint ventures or investor relations, I suppose. And um, the past few months, as I say, have been have been very exciting and very busy. As a result of a couple of projects and activities, I've become quite involved in in partnering or working and collaborating with other investors in a, in a hands-on way. 
Now, what's really interesting is that, uh, you know, there's not only people who are interested in what I would call shadow investing, uh, such as mentees who say, well, can you walk us through a real deal? That's something we will do uh, through our mentoring program. There's there's also other um, opportunities to collaborate with uh, investors and not just in the UK, but it turns out right across the world. And that's been really fascinating. So over the last couple of months, in addition to the UK, uh, so, you know, I love working in the UK. I love working people in the UK, but I've also started to collaborate with uh, expats and indeed foreign nationals in places such as Russia, Brazil, the US, Singapore, China, and the UAE that I can immediately recall as I was jotting down notes to share with you this uh, this particular update. Uh, and it's been you know, it's been challenging to understand some of the international aspects of property investing, as you might imagine. Um, you know, I'm looking at investing into the UK, so it's inward investment into the UK. But it's it's people who are located, whether it's resident or domiciled or whatever, uh, overseas at the moment. So um, it's it's a growing area of interest, um, one that's really captured my imagination, and that the UK's got lots of appeal for overseas, overseas rather based investors. You know, it's a stable economy, it's got strong currency, it's got well-established laws, it's got a proven uh, housing market with demonstrable valuations and and that sort of thing. So it's kind of steady, uh, if you like. And so as a result, uh, there's a lot of good reasons why people would want to invest in the UK, and of course, some of those people have uh, connected with. With, with me and uh, I found it very enjoyable. So watch this space again if I haven't said that already during the course of this uh, update, but watch this space. Now that's all very exciting, isn't it? You know, projects and mentoring training and investor relations and maybe the accreditation wasn't quite so exciting, but Probably a bit back down to earth are what I've labelled some tenant issues. Now, you know, from dealing with international expats and high net worth investors, of course, we've got to come back down to reality as well. And yes, I do have a portfolio. And so at times there are issues to deal with uh, with regard to tenants. Now, as you know, I outsource much of my activity in this respect. So I have a buffer and I have professionals who deal with a lot of the, um, the things that come into place. But over the last couple of months, I've... Um, I unfortunately have a first to report, and that's that I've initiated my very first county court judgment request against a tenant. Now, this particular tenant, unfortunately, has absconded without paying their rent. Um, now, I've, I've probably been lucky or, or perhaps uh, I've taken some reasonable steps, let's say, to prevent this coming coming to my doorstep in the past. Uh, but sadly, the time has come that I have had my first situation where, you know, they've gone away, they, they're not paying me, and unfortunately, I've had to take them to court. So, you know, not the best experience, but I guess it's all part of the, the learning. So, you know, I think careful selection of tenants, um, thorough reference checks, uh, regular inspections, and, you know, they, these are all some of the golden rules of, uh, of tenant selection, if you like, which have actually kept me away from this particular problem in the past. But uh, this particular tenant simply decided they didn't want to respect the tenancy agreement that they'd signed, and so they just upped and left, uh, said they were leaving, uh, but unfortunately they'd given me the keys back and left some of their stuff in the property, so it made it very difficult to relet, as you might imagine. So, 
I got to be honest, and I'll be transparent with you, I made something of a mistake with this particular tenant, in all honesty, and you know, something I'll learn from going forward. And the mistake I made was I bent my own rules uh, in terms of what constitutes a suitable tenant. And I decided to accept a tenant more on emotion than on business. And of course, this is a cardinal sin for any property investor. And I could probably hear you shouting at me, but Richard, don't, didn't you tell us never to make decisions based on emotion and only, you know, subjective investment decisions, et cetera, et cetera. And you would be absolutely right. And, uh, and that, of course, is partly why I say it. Some of the experience that I have had. So, uh, so long and short of it is I, I gave uh, a family, because this is not just one individual, it was a family, a bit of a break in all honesty, and it turned out wrong in this particular case, unfortunately. They were relocating, uh, but the uh, the lady wasn't working, looking after the, the kids. The guy was uh, a tradesman, and he had to start up a business in a new area, and so kind of, you know, the, the, all the things added together were real red flags, but um, I just decided to, uh, to go with it in all honesty. I spun the roulette wheel, I bet on black, and it came up red. <laughs> So I think you can understand that I'm smarting a little bit from that. Um, unfortunately, they're going to have a, a county court judgment against their name. Um, we'll see if I actually see the money. Um, but, you know, uh, I guess it's around about a thousand pound lesson in tenant selection, which I shall make sure I, I, I keep going, you know, going forward. <laughs> so there we go. Um, there's there's just a, a few of the things that have been keeping me busy, if you like, since this podcast, sorry, podcast uh, launched just a couple of months ago. Some things are new and exciting and challenging. Uh, others are a little bit more mundane or problematic and, and, if I'm honest, downright frustrating. But, um, you know, you have to be prepared for the highs and lows, I guess, is the takeaway from this recap. Now, I'm obviously, I say, not necessarily typical, and so some of the things I'm involved in are not necessarily what uh, a lot of investors would be involved in, you know, the training and mentoring, for example, or the international relations, you know, but obviously, you know, accreditation and um, and the tenant issues and dealing with projects, whether it's single let, multi let, or, or whatever, you know, are going to be things that people are going to be involved in on a regular basis. And um, there is this whole life cycle that I've uh, alluded to that I will be talking about in uh, in a future series. And you know, I'm kind of painting a little bit of a picture, if you like, for this life cycle. There's up, you know, we go through different cycles in the property process. So I'm going to come back to that rather than re- uh, dwell on it in this particular episode. But uh, I hope you've enjoyed it, um, and I hope it gives you a little bit more colour if you like, or or reality to my own property journey. And I excuse me, I hope you can see that there there's still some things that uh, that we all we can all learn, I guess, from each other's experience uh, experiences. And you know, I'm still learning today. Um obviously I've shared with you some of my own learning throughout the course of this episode. Um, I guess um, there's some mountain tops with fine vistas, but there's also some dark wooded al- uh, sorry valleys that we need to traverse at times as well. Uh, so would I change it? No, no, I wouldn't change it. Not at all. It's all part of the rich tapestry of being a property investor. So uh, I hope that's been useful just to go through, as I say, what I call the, um, the, 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 
The Diary of a Property Investor is what I'm actually trying to say. <laughs> Thanks for bearing with me there. The Diary of a Property Investor. Um, and if you like the segment, what I might do is periodically just return to this. I don't plan to go through this every week or even every month, but maybe every few months just to sort of revisit, have a little talk about what I've been up to. Maybe, you know, obviously to share some of the experiences and the learning that I've had. Um, but in the meantime, I just kind of wanted to, uh, you know, indulge you if you like in a slight tangent with today's episode and, and hopefully you've liked that so uh, please let me know uh, and that'd be great so the show notes uh, are going to be over on the website so by all means drop a comment in there that'd be really great to hear from you but um, you know thank you very much for listening to this uh, this one-off episode or or maybe a several off episode we'll have to see so for now and until next time on the property voice podcast it's ciao ciao Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.